Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. Raphael Fiedler. And I'm Joey Police. Joey! Joey's back again. Welcome back, Woo. Jojo Popo. Good to be Joey, here. I'm going to ask you the opening question then. Have you heard the fact that Mel Gibson and Ron Howard are starting their own clothing line? This is brand news to me. Brand new. No, I did not know that. They're going to call it ransomware. <laughs> ransomware. Okay. I, so, I get it. I get it. You know, you know, when Robin was on this show, there was a lot more love for the dad jokes. I'm just saying. All right. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about ransomware. This was actually a topic brought up by Rafti. Rafti, you want to explain in general? Don't get into the weeds because I know you love to get into the nitty gritty. Go tell us what ransomware is. What is it all about? Uh, you already talked about it, I think, in one episode with Robin. Yeah, yeah, when you yeah. Talked but no one's Melmer. listened to the previous episodes. These are okay, all new, good. fresh episodes. Go ahead. So this, the short the short version of it is it's a, a piece of software that's encrypting your device and then holding the data on that device ransom from you, from you, your, the user, the owner of the data. And usually they want, they ask for some like Bitcoin in exchange for giving you a key to decrypt your hard drive back. It's a public service. It is freelance <laughs> consultants who come, they do pen testing on your environment. They, they help you by encrypting your hard drive for you in any of your storage and then offering for a small fee to give you the keys to decrypt it, right? Right? It's a great business model. Actually. It's a great, and oddly, it's actually been a business now for several years. It's it's actually matured to the point where it's not onesie twosie attacks. This has become a thing to the point where even among the security industry in combating this, there's been different communication about how we should address it. There are some entities that actually say, you know, if you need the data, pay it and move on. Um, by and large, the, yep. the attackers are providing the keys if you do pony up the ransom because the attackers realize that if they don't do that, if they just, you know, stiff you on the deal, their whole business model goes out the window. There has to be trust of your kid, of your data nappers, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, because uh, if, so uh, if, if, if they fail to provide the service that they are uh, purporting to be offering and it gets around that, uh, oh, no, I, we, we paid the ransom and they didn't give us the keys, nobody that gets encrypted by the same ransomware is going to be paying either, which yeah makes it all go out the window. That, the whole point of the people who are doing this, the malicious actors, is to make money. That's they're, 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 you know, It's just a, a side effect of that they're being evil when they do it, but <laughs> they are doing it to make money. <laughs> and. The reason why I brought it up um, was because I know two people who have both been attacked by such ransomware attacks, and they both handled the situation quite differently, also because they were prepared differently, and the kind of data that was stored was different. And so I think with stuff like that, I think talking about it helps making it more like people more aware of it and actually do stuff like preventive stuff in that regard and um, actually get protecting themselves. Because like, as soon as your data is encrypted, you either pay or you better had a plan beforehand, you know? 
And I love that, Rafi. And I do want to hear those two specific tales. Before we go any further, let's just get this out of the way right now. I'm going to ask Matt and Joey because they are the, the high-powered consultants in this industry. What is the way to address the risk of ransomware right off the bat? What's the thing to do? The a number one biggest thing is have backups of your data. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Boom. That's it. Have good backups. This should be, the the underlying message here should be, if you weren't doing backups before, here's your rationale. I would would go one step further and say, not only have backups, but test your backups. Because getting those emails, getting those emails, hey, your backup's good, your backup's good. Yeah, go ahead and restore it. Let's see how good it is. If you haven't restored from your backups, you don't have backups. Yep. That is what I teach every single class and every every time I do consulting. That just getting the message from your fancy solution is not sufficient. Just doing the hash of the data is not sufficient. You have to actually practice the restore in order to determine if it works or not. Because all too often, historically, we've tried to go and get the restore during the disaster, and oops, we found out we were only capping half the data. Or we were overwriting half with the other half. You know, and yeah, absolutely. Good. Okay, Rafti, lay on the two different approaches and two different responses that, that your colleagues had. Um, maybe just one more thing to add there as well in regards to backup. You also have to think about what types of backups you're having because in both cases, the device they were actually most concerned with was their network-attached network storage, so the NAS. It was not the computer itself because usually those types of informations are like like you have them somewhere else as well, either via mail, you sent them somewhere if it's a document or something. But typically, when you have something on your NAS, it's uh, like you want it to be there for longer. And this is like long-time storage for you. And um, some people do backups to that NAS as well. So um, I just wanted to mention in here, if if your backup is like a network-attached storage that's always connected, this is not the type of backup that well, actually protects And again, you. you know, we could go into best practices for backups all day long. Off-site storage, uh, third-party storage. Um, uh, timely storage based on your RTO and your MTD or MAD. Uh, Yes, all of those things are absolutely true. Do not store the backups on the device you're backing up. Yes, that, yes, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Of course, of course. I just just wanted to say this, and the reason why I'm thinking currently about it is because I'm having, I'm generating much more uh, precious information that I want to keep um and would actually oh, pay yeah. for it. oh yeah <laughs> we forgot at the launch of the show with my great dad joke that there's a real dad <laughs> joke present right now and that is rafi <laughs> yay Rafi, we all have to congratulate you you have a son that's huge that's- Congratulations. <laughs> he's he's not even two weeks old now. And so those are the first pictures um which I want to keep for years to come. Um, and they're all digital, of course. When I had a look at the pictures that from when I was a kid, like there are decades old by now. And I'm so thankful that they're still here. But like for my son, of course, I need to to have um, them stored properly. So in both He's cases... Securitized, right? Again? He's named Securitized. That, that's what you <laughs> mean. As a third name, you say? <laughs> Okay, no, but um, the ah, get off my show, Rafti. That's it. We're, I'm mute. Getting, your mic. 
He told me his middle name was Matthew. So uh, his, first, his first name is Joey. So, <laughs> Okay. Um, jokes aside, getting into the stories. Um, so both of them have been fairly different. Both of them have been attacks at home. So it has been a home situation. It's not been a professional one in both cases, even though in one of the situations there was professional data on the NAS. So he, and I think I start with that guy. He actually was the one who opted to pay and he consulted with um, basically saving and with, because we are not doing like, he's a friend of ours. We're not doing um, security consulting, but we are like most of our staff is security experts and doing cybersecurity stuff. Your computer people, you, why, why can't you take care of, of my computer problem? Just oh, like this you is... know, any doctor that you meet at a, at a, at a party. Oh, I've got the this, fan this is thing. loud. Matt, didn't How do you I go to computer college for, for that? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I guess, yeah, of course, all of the listeners and, and of course, all of you know, know this situation. Um, but no, in, in reality, yes, um, because uh, we are thinking, of course, of encryption and decryption with our products. We, we thought about, well, if we can crack this maybe beforehand, and we actually gave, gave it a half decent try. Like he was already, he had the money. It was, it was a couple thousand euros. But the data was so important to him that he was willing to pay. And so we said, well, we're going to try. But if you're not going to pay us to do it, um, I think maybe, it, and if you would, it would be cheaper to buy the, the key. And I think what you were saying in regards to maybe them being like having a good business model, this is sort of the thing that they need to strike as well, like a good price which is high enough for them to actually do the effort and low enough i was just gonna i was gonna ask you that how did they know that it was a re residential nas as opposed to a corporate nas were they just casting a wide net and they stumbled across your friend and and they realized okay this is a, a single individual person we can't charge eight hundred thousand dollars because he doesn't have eight hundred and he's not going to be able to pay eight hundred thousand. How how did they resolve that? Did they ever that, in the communicate? I'd love to see the email thread between your friend and and the ransomer. It wasn't email. <laughs> it was Telegram. Um, so maybe that's an important and interesting okay. point here as well. So they okay. have been using Telegram. And Telegram is very popular in both Russia and in Europe. I think more than the U.S. U.S. is often using other forms of messenger services, uh, it hasn't reached the popularity it has there. Okay. I'd say Telegram is big in the crypto scene. I, okay. I'd say Telegram in, in Europe, it's mostly WhatsApp and Signal. For those people who okay. respect, who, who care about privacy, it's Signal. And for everybody else, it's WhatsApp. It's, it's so not iMessage here. But <clears throat> yeah, so Telegram, I think it, it, it might have to do with Russia. I don't know. But I think it's mostly because all the crypto people are like um, having those Telegram chats and stuff. And um, well, no I, one. I just want to mention, and I know we have mentioned this on previous previous episodes. Telegram is a messaging service popular on smartphones, and it was so ubiquitous in Russia that it caused the Russian government to change their policy about allowing Russian citizens to use encrypted communication because they couldn't stop it. Uh, it it had gotten so big that their law against encrypted communication was no longer applicable. So, okay, go for it. And and to add on to that, if you are using Telegram, 
Um, Telegram is not so good when it comes to encryption. Not everything is encrypted and you need to be careful there as well. So um, Signal is encrypted everything by default, even WhatsApp, but WhatsApp, of course, is owned by Facebook or like Meta now. So just to put that out there. And so how it how it went on is like he just um, got uh, the, the, the screen where it's just showing you basically where to contact them and, and address. And I think there has not been too much communication with that people. They just set a price and I think it was very untargeted. It was very out there and, and uh, this was it. Um, so why were we even looking at it then if we were saying, well, this is just for a friend and we just barely look at it. Um, maybe, in regards to preparation, he thought actually about what he would do, and he decided to opt for for the paying option in advance um, uh, because he's lazy when it comes to backups, and he did not have any, um, or they were too old. <laughs> um, and hard so he, to learn. He, uh, stuff that. So what what was his plan? Basically, something like a war chest. Uh, money he has set aside for situations like this. Um, and the plan B was, and this was the reason why we were coming in, some of that encryption, like um, that ransomware that they are using is actually old and has been cracked and people have keys out there and you can decrypt it without the key that they are like, using. If it's if it's a bad encryption algorithm, you can decrypt it. And so we shot, we, we tried this and um, we, we uh, took a copy of the, of the hard drives before attempting anything. Uh, a full bit by bit copy and then and then started trying to decrypt the, the copy of it just as a precaution because of course if we start poking around in the encrypted hard drive maybe we would corrupt information without us knowing and stuff so i think this is good practice as well and maybe for for folks out there to know as well a plan b a half decent plan b is maybe the the, the broad net that has been like just cast out there is old and maybe you you can poke holes into it and the second one, um, he actually is, the first one is just a, a private citizen um, with important information. And the other one actually is um, uh, somebody who's working in IT and this is admin. And so he was very embarrassed when he told me this story. Um, but uh, in his situation, it was, um, he actually, his whole like home server setup got decrypted. Um, but in this case, he had offsite backup for the servers, but not for the NAS. But the NAS only had some um, DVDs uh, ripped on them. Uh, he actually had the DVDs still there, but it was basically, it wasn't Plex, but basically like his Plex server where he could stream at home and stuff. And so he just like, he said, well, I'm just going to format the hard drives and go for a couple of weekends and like re, re, um, back up my. He constitute his library. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's interesting. That is Fascinating. Thank you for sharing both of those with us. Um, the guy who paid, yep. they sent the key in a timely yeah. fashion. Yeah, yeah, it was actually very fast. Uh, so the whole thing wasn't even a week um, from us trying, giving, as I said, uh, a try, a shot, uh, trying to figure out what encryption algorithm he was using, figuring out that it was an, a new one, and then saying, well, if for us to take even more steps, this would take much more time, and we cannot, like, <laughs> For so, you, the yeah. information is important. We cannot skip like a whole week for this. So the victim got the data back. Now the next, the next immediate question in my mind, Joey, Matt, can you read my mind right now? Right after you get uh, the data uh, back. Well, uh, do, uh, do you secure your system? 
after he what was the point of ingress yeah because because it could happen again tomorrow right um do you know rafti were you able or was he able to find how the attacker got in i don't actually know no Hmm. i think it it had to do with i think his his nas uh was maybe the point of ingress itself um, it was a fairly old model and it was connected to cool. the internet. So he was able to access it remotely. Um, oh, and so I he think... had some kind of a port open on his firewall that allowed him to, to get into his NAS when he was yes. outside of his house. And yeah, and he probably had a weak password on it and someone just brute forced their way onto it. Maybe. I, I, I don't know about this. We haven't done any investigations, uh, as I said. <laughs> but um... What are you talking about? You're a computer guy. You do instant response, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I, I listened to the episode where you explained your binder situation and stuff. And we actually, I after listening to that episode, I wanted something like that this for safing, a binder, not just like oh, yeah, in yeah. our internal dickies and stuff. Uh, because if it's okay, down, it's it. down. Yeah, <laughs> a hard a physical backup of of the incident response. Um, but of course, no, no, we are not. We're not um, <laughs> doing incident responses for other for other people. That, that would be the only thing that I'd be concerned about. And it sounds like he needs to kind of rethink his network architecture because um, mm-hmm. maybe that thing shouldn't be public facing. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, wow. Wow, really good. All right, thank thank you for sharing. Excellent, excellent. Um, so uh, I know that we had brought the idea of the topic up uh, a little while back. Matt, was there a, a facet of the topic you wanted to get into? Oh, sure. I I, I can speak uh, pretty extensively on ransomware. I've like Rafi. I've uh, being a consultant uh, and actually doing this type of stuff. I, you know, I, I don't hedge like like Rafi does and say <laughs> we 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 don't do uh, incident response and decryption and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, over my years as a consultant, I've run into ransomware uh, probably about a dozen times, maybe more, of uh, both new clients who came to me because they had gotten ransomware or um, existing clients who I hadn't, uh, they, they hadn't had me look into these aspects of it. And so they had um, been lax on their security and, or, or hadn't engaged me for security purposes and just wanted to do something else with me. And so then um, they ended up getting ransomware. So yeah, I've got I've s- several similar type stories. Um, fortunately for most of the, the, the times that I've dealt with it, we've had backups um, and, and, and they were backups that were, offline um, or cloud-based and they were untouched. And so we were able to quickly, and, and obviously that's the best and quickest, easiest and cheapest way to recover from any kind of ransomware is, you know, just restore your backups. Um, I have had a client that got ransomware after I hadn't done any work with them for a couple of years. Um, the point of ingress, uh, which is a, a, a very common way to get in, was they had opened up a remote desktop, Microsoft remote desktop server to the internet and remote desktop RDP, uh, very popular way, was much more popular back in the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, but because it's such a security vulnerability, a lot of people don't do it anymore, but this client happened to have it. Um, it got brute forced. Uh, once the attacker got in, they had full desktop access to this server and boom, dropped the ransomware. Um, and because I hadn't been consulting with them for a few years, uh, they had no backups. So they were completely at a loss. Um, they ended up engaging their cybersecurity insurance policy holder, 
um, who then brought in a, a blue team that were professional ransomware negotiators, negotiated down the ransom that was being asked for. Um, cybersecurity or uh, cyber insurance paid the ransom because it had been negotiated by their uh, negotiators. Uh, got the key back and and uh, they were able they they were back up and running within about a week. I basically in that um, that uh, scenario I was just a hands on local IT guy while all these other people were handling all the negotiations and all the policies and stuff like that. Which brings up something that Joey and I've had many conversations about before. Ransomware at its heart is not an IT problem. It's not necessarily a security problem. It's it's a management problem. It's it's something that uh, if this happens to an an organization. Management has to ha- has to be involved. Uh, you can't just you know kick the can down to the IT guys and say fix it, <laughs> because you got to figure out. Uh, as, as Ben, you've talked about before, you know what's the value of the data that's been encrypted uh, versus what's the you know what's the cost to get it decrypted or or restore the backups and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I've I've actually done some decryption myself as well. Um, not recently, uh, probably about five years ago was the last time I actually had re- real ransomware that I had to deal with on a firsthand basis um, because it's changed so much in the last five years or so, but um, was able to use a third-party decryptor released by one of the security companies. I'm thinking it's, it was Symantec or McAfee or one of those companies. They had released a decryptor for a, um, a different ransomware that happened to work on the ransomware that my client had gotten hit with. And um, I was able to finagle it so that if you had a, a pair of files, so you had the, the, the original unmolested file and a, an encrypted copy of the file, it could deduce the key and then run that key through and decrypt all the rest of the files with the caveat that um, the only files it could decrypt had to be smaller in byte size than the original key pair that you that you created, so the the, the plain text and the and the encrypted one, that was a really interesting one. And that one I ended up um, doing some some work with uh, uh, people online that I have no idea who they are. They were probably you know hackers themselves, uh, people hopefully not people who actually did ransomware. But um, uh, getting into some of the the, the decryption and stuff like that, it was a really fascinating exercise. But yeah, all I'd say. Yeah, backups are the are the are the best way, but there are uh, uh, other ways to get your data back without necessarily paying the ransom. Besides achieving the business objectives, which the backups facilitate, and it's a way to avoid the risk or at least mitigate the risk. Just think of the great feeling you would have if you've got good backups that are within your RTO, and you can respond to the attacker. Fuck you! Thanks for coming. <laughs> I can speak to that. Go, Joey, go. My first um, experience with ransomware, Matt, I brought you in on this. This was many years ago. Um, Came into the uh, environment that I was working, and people were like, hey, something's wrong with our files, this weird extension, you know, nothing's working. And and when you hear that, especially as an IT admin, you're like, your stomach just drops. (laughs) Your your blood pressure goes up. (laughs) You start feeling woozy. (laughs) Oh, and uh, I I went into, it was a file server that was on the network. And I went in there and as soon as I opened up several files, uh, folders, I I knew immediately. I was like, yep, yep, they've been ransomed. Um, My next call was to Matthew. And I I said, I'd like another set of eyes on this. Uh, Can you come over? We were able to deduce that it was because of an RDP open port 
uh, at the time. And again, we're going back 2000, I think 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And because of a required no complex password policy, uh, it was brute forced and they went in and the conversation then had to have with the CFO was, do you want to pay the ransom or do you want to restore back to 24 hours? And the, the answer was easy. It was, yeah, we can, we can recreate the work for 24 hours, which is exactly what we did. We changed policies. We changed procedures. We restored our backups and we were golden and there was no, there was no issues past that. That's gorgeous. And, and I keep saying RTO, that would be RPO, my bad. Uh, the, the idea of how many transactions you could lose without having it be right. utterly damaging to the organization. And, and did you even, did you even respond to the ransomer? No, nope. no just ignore it. Just gone. Just ignored yeah. it. We, we blew everything away. Restored. And rebuilt. Yeah. yeah. Now, now here's my second, my, my third question after that. And, and I, I'm curious about your situation. It's great to know the original point of ingress, but some of these attackers are pretty sophisticated. Once they get access, they're going to start punching back holes in so that they can get continued access through yeah. their preferred methodology. Is that something you had to consider? And did you have to, you know, broaden your scope and, and really look at all of the possible remote access? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we determine where are all the potential holes within the network um, and Matthew and I went through everything and I relied heavily on his experience to that point. I was in the corporate environment. Matthew was still, or has always been in the consulting standpoint. So he opened up a lot of, um, uh, he exposed, let's check A, B, C, D, E. And thankfully they were all hardened. Good. Good. And that's the best kind of story. This. Huh? I'm, I'm glad Joey rem remembers this because it makes me look good. And I have no <laughs> recollection of doing this at all, <laughs> but I guess I did. <laughs> now I will say one of the, one of the, uh, one of the things that's I find difficult to harden is SQL server. And I had a client where they actually put a dating service on the SQL server that had been running in the background. The attacker did or the client did? The attackers. <laughs> So they they set up their own database. They, they were just they were just <laughs> posting. They were just borrowing service. That wasn't even ransomware. No, that's right. That's awesome. I, I say that because SQL is one of those backups. It's not as easy as oh, throw the backup on, choose what folders you want to get, and go. SQL is a different animal to backup and restore itself. Because you need the engine, and it's got because everything's got to go into the right place. Especially if it's a relational database, it's all got to. Yeah. You got to carry yeah. the relations with them. The tables have to move and, and the schema have to move. Yeah. I find wow. it interesting just because I wasn't aware that, um, I mean, of course, in general, ransomware, yes, um, we, we hear it in the newspapers as well, like when, when stuff like that happens to, to big corporations. But what I always thought, like if you have a targeted attack with brute force, um, are they only like, encrypting like actually doing a ransomware or are they extracting the data as well or is this now, something now this is really interesting and i'm glad you brought that up because we've seen some of the larger more sophisticated attacks and the one i think of in recent years was the colonial pipeline attack mm -hmm. yeah where they haven't exposed all the information about it but the information that we have learned 
it became really apparent to me, and Raman and I did an episode about this, but the attackers had not only encrypted the data, but they had exfiltrated copies of at least parts of it. And this is what they were using as proof of life to show the executives, we've got your data, we can give it back to you, or we can give you the decryption key. You're, there's two ransoms happening here. The first ransom is, we can unlock your data for you in your live environment. But even assuming you have a backup, the second ransom is we're going to release it into the wild if you don't pay. So it's kind of a double whammy. And those are the really terrifying ones. If the data is not just something you need to continue your business, but it's something that could be either um, the cause of uh, um, litigation or um, some regulated data, such as PII or something else, um, or embarrassing. And the thing that I think about the Colonial Pipeline, the way the reactions were, and, and you know, just from what I read, it seemed like it was more embarrassing. It seemed like it was stuff they didn't want released, not because it was re regulated, which, you know, you, they could get around that with insurance or with some other uh, ways. It seemed like they really didn't want it going out into the wild for whatever reason. And the most interesting aspect of that one was not that they responded in any of the ways that we've talked about, not just restoring from a backup, not just doing the inspection of the network to find the, the points of ingress and egress, not just having the insurance, not just paying the ransom. They went political with it. They went, this was fascinating because what they did is they turned the table on the ransomware attackers. They shut down all their operations, which affected the gas prices all up and down the eastern seaboard, and it drew public attention to the situation, and the public, instead of hating the target, the victim, Colonial, they hated the attackers for causing the situation. Even though it was pretty obvious that the public's mind had conflated the attack with the shutdown, when that's not what it was. The attack was on the data, Colonial shut down, in response to the attack, and that's what caused the high gas prices. So that was an interesting manipulation of perception as opposed to an IT solution. Again, management addressing the problem. Matt, Joey, it's exactly what you said. It was it was a uh, governance response as opposed to an IT response. <laughs> and, and it was pretty effective. And, and Colonial is another interesting case in that um, they actually had backups. Um, oh yeah, and 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 they were in the process of restoring their backups, and they originally their their plan was not to pay the ransom, but the backup restoration was taking so long because it was I, I, either the volume of data or the, the the medium you know that they were restoring from or whatever, it was quicker once they got a couple of days into it to just go ahead and pay the ransom anyway because that's the what they said. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, honestly, we don't know what was going on yeah. in the background there. FBI was heavily involved in that. And after the ransom was paid, after a delay and a renegotiation several times, they brought it down from double digit millions to just single digit million. I think it was about 9 million eventually. After it was paid, most of it was recovered from that account after it got sent. Mm -hmm. So, again, I'm not sure. We haven't seen behind the scenes of this whole thing. I but see. I'm almost wondering if what they handed over was an electronic die pack. <laughs> Something so they could trace the, the payment and then recover it. So yeah. Correct. And, and, hammer who, and, who, and hammer whoever collected it. Yeah. 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 yeah.
Uh, so I, I have to wonder about all that whole situation. This would make a great movie. It, it wouldn't have the action necessary to have good funding to get a good director and good actors, simply because it's not, you know, we, we just don't have a sexy industry. But I think from our standpoint, it would be really interesting to see how all that unraveled and what the ins and outs were. What yeah. was it? What actually occurred? Was it a poison pill, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, Rafti, uh, the, the fella who paid the ransom yep. got the key back uh the one who didn't did he respond to the attackers at all no. just restored and shut up yep. did did the attackers try that second hammer blow of we're going to release it publicly or did they realize no. all we got is a bunch of movies on plex no and this is exactly why I I'm interested in the differences. I think when private people are getting hacked, it's more of that net cast out situation where I think it's mainly the same price for everybody. They they target, uh, like in that one case, I think it was a, a consumer NAS, that they target stuff like that, vulnerabilities of consumer products, uh, or at least that's what I'm, what I'm guessing. And uh, so they know they will probably hit consumers. And this and, is also why I'm a little point. bit. Huh? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And this is why I'm a little bit confused. Like, if I'm doing a targeted attack, if I'm doing stuff like um, brute forcing a password, there are costs involved with this. I want something more, like more leverage than just um, having like the ransom of some data of them. Because as we are just talking about, like there are ways around that. I think what you're saying, like with the uh, with the gas um, company, like with the pipeline company. Um, it's like having the data yourself as a leverage, an additional leverage, I think is so much more logical. Of course, it is more complicated, um, like exfiltrating the data, moving so much data around. Um, but like when you're already, if you have desktop access, uh, onto a server, I don't know, like. I'm imagining that as a business model, being an attacker that it doesn't scale well for the res for residential consumers right that that if that's your target audience you don't have to most of that's got to be automated almost all yeah. of it's got to be automated yes you find the thing. kitties yes exactly and they're not even looking at what they captured because what they're capturing is so much stuff they'd have to go through it to find that personal stuff that's going to have the they don't have the time or inclination and that requires a human being so it would not scale at the number of targets that they're going after. When it's colonial, it's probably a dedicated multi-layer, multi-month attack. You know, it's the low and slow APT. And when they finally get it, now they can uh, put forth those resources because they know there's going to be a big payday. You know, it's not the 2,000 euros that your friend is going to have to pay. They're at least looking at 200 grand or 2 million or 20 million. And that makes it worth their time. So at least for now, at least before we have AI who can go through all of that stuff on the NAS and determine what was um, a backup copy of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the John Candy movie, <laughs> and what is somebody's personal or uh, private, let's say, bedroom photos that they had created that they would be terrified into paying that ransom for. Until we get that AI that can actually discern between something that would give leverage and something that wouldn't, we at least now, as as individuals, I don't think we should feel as threatened. Joey? 
I wanted to take a different, not a different stance, but pose the question for the residential that you're talking about, Ben and Rafty. So let's say the person that's listening to the podcast right now doesn't have the resources to get a, a, an industrial or enterprise backup system. Um, they don't know where to start. Ransomware is a scary term. So for the person that's listening and, and you've got that uh, extra hard drive, right, well, in, in the layman's terms or your NAS. Um, they thought the NAS was all the, their backup. That's the, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It's holding all, all of your kids' pictures, all right. of your videos and everything. Right. And they say, wait, I've got Office 365 and I put everything in my OneDrive or I put everything in Google Drive. And if are they saying, am I safe if I get ransomware? So I'm going to put that question out there and I and I want I've got, you know, my answer, but I'm going to pose that to you guys. Uh, Matt, I'm going to let you go first on this one. <laughs> well, Joey and I have had this conversation, so I already know where he's going with it. <laughs> but but yeah, if you have uh, versioning turned on, uh, which I think it is by default on your OneDrive, your Cloud Drive, your, your Google Drive, whatever it is, then yeah, you can revert back to some previous version of, of the files. And so yeah, effectively, that's a backup. And that's as, as good as anything. Um, again, assuming that you're able to, to close off what the original vector was that, that caused the encryption in the first place. Yeah, I think that's one of the main things to keep in mind, too. Again, for the listener who's not your sysadmin, not your engineer, not your security professional, how do they harden themselves against ransomware attacks? Find out how it was, um, in, how they infiltrated. How was this accessed? And then there are backup uh, programs out there that are very inexpensive. I mean, pennies on the dollar for the amount of data that you can put up into the cloud and secure. Yep. Uh, okay. Um, I, I'm a contrarian. Th this is my thing. I, I, I'm too afraid of the cloud backups only because I think where a lot of people are lo losing their stuff is is <laughs> somebody guessing their password or through password reuse, and right. it's the attacker getting access to the iCloud, like during the fappening, right? But there's it's an easy solution, multi-factor. <laughs> I am old school. I want to hold the backup in my hand. I want that sure. spare drive. And, yeah. and and drives are so cheap. I bought a two terabyte drive off of Amazon for forty bucks a couple right. of months ago. Right. You know. Yeah. I I what I what I would suggest, and this sounds like more effort than it's worth, but I feel that way about two factor. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I suggest is buy two of those. Um, you know, make two good backups, leave one on your desk in the house, whatever. One goes into a safe deposit box in a bank somewhere, in a vault, away from the house. So it's it's being protected from fire, flood, you know, all those natural disaster things. So if you lose your machine and you lose, you know, the local hard drive, there's another hard drive somewhere else. Then every six months, you take the one out of the bank. You, you make the, the other one the current version, and you take that one to the bank, and you rotate and swap that way. That, because that's me, I, I like having control of it. I like, I like physical access. I'm just so terrified, not only of the attack on the cloud-based stuff, but vendor lockout, vendor lock-in. I, I really don't want to put that somewhere where somebody else is in charge of it. Yeah, yeah. If you're a twitchy security guy and you want to actually have your data in your hands, yeah, yeah. Obviously, that's the way to go. And before cloud-based backups became a big thing, 
uh, whatever, 10 years ago, they finally got cheap enough that uh, small businesses and individuals were doing it. Yeah, that was what we'd, we we told people. Yeah, buy, buy two, three, four, multiple hard drives. And um, yeah, swap them out if you have access or can get a, uh, a safe deposit box or something to put it in uh, safely. The problem that, that I, as a consultant, and I think Joey saw as well, was that people got lazy because yeah. you have to be disciplined to keep up that 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 routine of, of, of swapping them out. You've got to get in your car and drive to uh, the safe deposit box. You can't forget and leave your backup in your purse or in your trunk of your car or something like that. that that's lazy. And keeping that discipline is the hardest thing, especially for lay users who don't see the value in having the backup. It's not until they actually need the backup that they realize, oh, I should have been doing what they were saying all this time, but I didn't feel like doing it. So uh, therefore, I'm in this situation. And, and it sucks that we live in a world where there are yeah. people with ill will that force us into this situation. But again, I also want to put it past just that as the driving force. I'm still worried about nature. You know, like I said, <laughs> fire, flooding. I'm yeah. concerned about entropy. That drive is going to fail at some point. And, and yeah. you know, forget even the, the other, you know, person-based attacks. I'm afraid of the universe. And that's why I, I'd rather have, you know, discipline. I, I, I'd rather have paranoia. And, and, and again, yeah. it's not that expensive. It doesn't take all that much time. And And even if you just buy a new hard drive every six months, load that one up, and keep all the previous ones as version control. You can just keep yeah. stacking them in the safe deposit box, right? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah, pretty inexpensive. Yeah. I just saw a headline recently that a um, 50 terabyte hard drive will be on the market in the next uh, few months. So a, a single hard drive that holds 50 terabytes. We are truly in an age of gargantuan storage. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, Robin and I watched uh, the original Blade with Wesley Snipes. Yes. They, they go into the data center, and there's all these machines. <laughs> it's really cool. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, I bet all of that holds one gig. <laughs> which yeah. i can have on a keychain right now on a little usb thing you know yep, Rafi, yep. you wanted to talk about this topic was there anything we haven't addressed that you also wanted to get in on yeah uh maybe just an uh because you were talking about the bank i guess um if you have a friend or like parents or something if your hard drive is encrypted you can of course leave it with um people you know as well where you maybe go to visit each week or month or something anyway. Um, so at the bank, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I don't visit don't my bank banks. very That's often. That's true security. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. That's paranoia. Yeah. And you can actually, or you, instead of encrypting it, you can hand them a safe, you know, one of those yeah. desk yeah. safes. Um, and, and that's even easier. The only thing I'd say about the friend thing, because I'd say, you know, hand it to a next door neighbor. That way, if your house is burglarized, if your house burns down, you're okay. The only thing I'm concerned about is because I live in New Orleans, you know, in Louisiana, a hurricane's going to take out my neighbor's house too. The flood isn't going to just be. So the thing about the bank, you know, wrap it in plastic. Usually the bank vaults here are watertight. I have that much more comfort about it. If you really feel twitchy, go 250 miles away. <laughs> not everybody's going to have the discipline to do that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one of the and, questions. 
Go ahead, Matt. Sorry, Joey. Uh, ben, I just want to bring up one small thing that you mentioned um, in passing, APTs, Advanced Persistent Threats. These, in uh, the ransomware that Joey and I largely dealt with back in the uh, uh, 2010s and such, um, those weren't as big of a deal. Now, that's the kind of stuff that keeps us up at night because yeah. an APT means that someone has compromised your system and they haven't gotten caught yet. And so they're loitering. They're uh, 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 scanning the network. They're seeing what kind of data they have, what kind of access that they have. And that is a, goes a long way towards them making their, their price for their last act before they, 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 they ditch the network will be to drop the ransom. Unless they're already getting value out of it by standing up a dating site on a SQL server. You know, <laughs> yeah, and yes, and I think the I think the fear of APTs is overblown because it's become the boogeyman under the bed for our industry. It's been the excuse of a lazy security practitioner. We couldn't have prevented this. It was an APT. You know, it was a nation state level. No. It was some script kiddies, and you got caught with your pants down. Was, yeah, <laughs> Joe, That's you a resume a generator. What's that? Yes, exactly. You had a question. Well, it was Matt was reading my mind. My comment was going to be, "Where is the future of ransomware headed?" And we've seen so far an evolution of, you know, accessing the files, encrypting them, pay us our ransom, and go. But, but now, as as Matt has just enlightened us, that, uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily drop the bomb and, and, and wait, it's let's study the environment. Let's gather as much Intel as we can. And once we know what kind of payload we have now, let's go ahead and execute. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's, it's morphing, it's evolving. And, and I think again, it still won't scale for individual residential users until they can automate finding the pain points. Yeah. You know, it just, it takes too much uh, human effort. Um, so until AI happens, I think we're still okay. Then there's, I think, two or three potential outcomes when that does occur. Either one, people are going to just pay. That just becomes a cost of having IT. Two, it'll be an extortion racket where you'll pay the mob to leave you alone. <laughs> or three, we're going to have to go to a post-private world. We're going to have to realize that that sensitive data that we're so afraid yeah. of being disclosed just isn't that sensitive. Everyone's got those photos. Everyone's got that stuff. Everyone has that sext on their phone that, you know, they shouldn't have. At some point, when we realize everybody's got it, we become immune. It's it's the vaccine, really. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't like any of those outcomes, but... That's kind of where it's going to have to go when when you can't protect data anymore. Yep. But yeah, to your point, um, um, uh, Rafi's especially the the small consumer level ransomware attacks don't occur at, at least in, in my experience as often anymore as the the bigger more targeted attacks because there's just less value there. In other words, um, if you're only going to get uh, you know when when I my very first ransomware I saw. I think that the ransom was maybe five hundred dollars. Of course, Bitcoin was also worth way less back then. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> now Bitcoin is is what it is. But um, you, you, the, there's just not as much money, and so what you see is actually hacker groups, ransomware as a service, and things like that, collect big collections of you know here are. 
a thousand compromised accounts. I don't want to do anything with them because there's no value to this to me, but I'll sell them to another uh, uh, rogue actor who, who might see some you know, value or, or this might be worthwhile to them. Then they take that information and they actually execute the actual ransomware and, and get the payment. And they, they go for volume rather than individual uh, you know, high value targets. So you, there are only so many $9 million colonial pipelines out there that are ready, willing, and able to pay something like that. So you go, you, you go for a large volume and, and they do that by basically collecting hacked, uh, compromised accounts and then aggregating them and selling them off. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing as identity theft. I remember in the late 90s, early 2000s, that was a big deal. You know, people were, attackers were doing that kind of thing. At some point, the attackers realized it's just not worth it. Even if I have all these credit card numbers and I have all these pins and I have the 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 material where I can make charges, the credit card's going to reverse it. Law enforcement's going to find me because I got to get the shit that I bought delivered to my house anyway. It, yeah. it, it, it stops being a viable business model for them unless they find Bill Gates's credit card that has no credit limit and allows them to quickly make charges in 24 hours with no, with no cap on it. You know, other right. than that, other than that, it, you know, it's not a, it's not worthwhile to anybody. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. All right, Rafti, this was an awesome topic. I can see us talking for the next three days about this. You have to go change your infant baby. Um, <laughs> what's, he, what's he changing into? Is he... <laughs> no, it's just every 45 minutes, doesn't that thing do something? Either, you know, out of one end or oh, the other. Yes. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Enjoy that. Enjoy that. Uh... Oh, thank you. Um, thank you, Al. Joey, thank you for joining in again. We'd love to have you on more episodes. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, so then, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. I'm Matt Snotty. I'm Rafael Fiedler. And I'm Joey Police. And we'll catch you again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. <laughs>